Daniel chapter 10. Some of these events are already covered in previous chapters, but what we see in chapter 10 is history from heaven's perspective. Daniel is perhaps 85 years old at this point in life. This is uh, the period of time of the lion's den. Many times I think uh, we have the perspective of Daniel that he was in the lion's den when he was a young man, 30 years old or something, 25. But they threw a senior adult in the lion's den. So let that be a lesson to you, senior adults. It could still happen to you, okay? 85 years old, and they do this to this man. And if you wonder why Daniel has periods of time in which he is in a state of consternation, then you should maybe walk a mile in his shoes. He has lived in a foreign country He has had to learn completely a new culture, taken away from his parents, learn a new language, which is about as close to hell as it can get, if you've ever done that. He has been schooled with the pagans. You're talking about going to uh, a liberal school. Some of y'all think that you've walked with the devil if you go to a state university. No, it's just the devil's children, but not he himself. But Daniel, the whole issue was, it was more like a re-education camp, a communist re-education camp. He has spent his life with the authorities over him and the culture around him trying to force him into the mold of the pagan culture around him. He had risen to prominence in the king's court only to be betrayed by those who were his company. Then, having pronounced judgment upon the kingdom that employed him, the kingdom topples and a new king rises. Daniel's life is once again in danger. The normal procedure is to execute all those in the king's court when the new king arrives. Daniel is spared by God's providential grace. He arises to prominence again only to be thrown in the lion's den. He reads the scriptures and he's made aware again of the fact that this time of his life is only supposed to last 70 years. Have you ever been in a bad circumstance and bad situation and it goes for seven weeks and you think you're going to lose your mind? Daniel has been promised you're going to be here for 70 years. And so when the 70 years begins to come to fruition and finally some of the Jews are allowed to return to Jerusalem with the king's money and the king's permission now. To rebuild the temple, what happens? They meet opposition and the work is stopped. And the dreams that Daniel had of seeing God's people return to the land of Israel and to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth once again evaporate. And so he comes to chapter 10 and it's the third 
year, he says, of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, this first verse is obviously written by Daniel's secretary. Daniel has a scribe. And you say, well, why would that be? Have you ever tried to write this at 85 years old? Just last night, I was trying to read the directions on the back of a bottle of Resolve. And I couldn't find a pair of glasses anywhere in the house. I thought to myself, that first part must be in Chinese. I've got to find the English. I can't read that. And then I realized I don't have the eyesight for it. Well, Daniel doesn't have that. Have you ever noticed? Have you noticed about your handwriting? It gets a little shaky. And Daniel's 85. He needs some help writing. And so this first verse, it is written by that secretary. And it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true. And it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So this first verse is just setting the stage now. And what happens in this vision is, first of all, God's king suddenly appears. Now, we're reading uh, verse 2 now, and we'll go down to verse 9. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, that would have been the month of March for us, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. God's king appears here. What is the reason for his appearance? Verse 1 reminds us that it was a great conflict. There is chaos and a great conflict in the world. And we'll see some of the things going on behind that conflict. We take it that this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a Christophany. And there are a couple of reasons why I say this. First of all, the description of this person closely aligns with the description of the Son of God in Revelation chapter 1 and 13, verse 13, and Revelation chapter 15 and verse 6. Secondly, I would say that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ because of the response of Daniel to this appearance. We see his, Daniel's response to Gabriel back in chapter 9 is different from this. But in this situation, 
what we find is that Daniel loses consciousness. He passes out. He faints from this sight. Now, what is it that he's seeing? And we would have to put this together with chapter 12 to, to get this. But what's going on here is Daniel's standing on the banks of the Tigris River. And there's somebody walking on the water. And that's who Daniel sees. And it's the appearance of Christ. Now, why this appearance? And so, as we were saying, there, there's this great conflict. There's upheaval in history and when there is chaos and when there is conflict, many times that's when the Son of Man does His work. The appearance of the Son of God here is to remind everyone that there is still only one King who reigns. There is only one King who will ultimately prove to the world and to all political and all military powers that He has always been in control. The application for this for us is very simple and very straightforward. When war, when chaos threaten our lives, the best thing that we can do is to get a renewed vision of the Son of God, King Jesus, from the Scriptures. He is in charge, not the human powers of the world. Whether Putin invades Ukraine or not is ultimately up to Jesus we must remember that. that. That doesn't mean that he never works through secondary causes. He almost always does. When we look at the miracles of Jesus, he does strange things like spit on the ground and put mud in somebody's eye. Odd. Or to tell people to go fill water jugs up with water and turn it into wine. Often he works through secondary means. So when we're looking for the work of the Son of God in, in history and in the events of our day. To be looking for lightning from heaven or some unexplained miracle is what we usually look for. And in the process we miss his actual work. And so he's working. And Daniel, a great prophet, a man of great faith has to be reminded again it's not Darius who's in charge it's not Cyrus it's Jesus now look at the royalty of his appearance in verses 2 through 6 behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist and so on verse 5 speaks of his royalty this particular kind of clothing is that of a king Verse 6 says his body was like beryl and his face like the appearance of lightning. And so what we see in this verse and the, the appearance here is his deity. Humans don't look this way. Eyes like flaming torches. Arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And so what's being communicated by this appearance is the deity of this person. This is no mere angel. And then in the last part of verse 6 you see his authority. The sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And so the royalty and dignity of his appearance are portrayed there. In verses 7 through 9 the result of his appearance. 
and Daniel, when he saw the vision, first of all, his friends run away. They didn't really see. They only sensed something was weird here. So they run away and hide. Daniel's left alone. And so what did Daniel do? The Bible says that when he saw this vision of this man, the Son of God, great trembling fell upon him, upon them. They ran away. He was left alone. And then he says, no strength was left in me. His appearance changed. He turns pale. Then what happens? When he hears the sound of his words, he loses consciousness, falls flat on his face. This is what happens when you see the Son of God as He is. I always snicker to myself when some of the flower children say that they've seen Jesus out on the lake or some such thing. And it was just, I just had such a warm experience. No, you didn't. I, I don't know anyone that has ever come face to face with the Son of God and the essence of His deity emanating from Him, and they had that experience. I see the Apostle Paul going blind and trembling on his knees. I see Daniel passing out, get, losing consciousness and falling flat on his face. I see John in the book of the Revelation trembling and losing consciousness. When the Son of Man reveals himself as the Son of God, it's a terrifying experience. Some people think because of the artwork of Christian history, we see Jesus holding a little lamb or Jesus knocking on your heart's door and all of those things that we have in the nice Jesus with manicured nails and a hairdo just as straight out of the beauty shop and not a flaw on his face and he knocks politely on doors. People think that that's the Jesus that they're going to encounter in judgment. It is not. It's this Jesus. And many people think they have their answer all loaded up for Jesus when they will see him in judgment. I will say to you, you will be speechless. God's king is always in charge. He's always in control. Always. Now we see God's comfort through the angel. Thankfully, God doesn't leave Daniel just in this condition. He has something he wants to tell him. And so now he has to do CPR on him. Now, verses 10 through 17, God's comfort through the angel. Now, let's read these verses. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So he kind of wakes him up. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. 
And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me. And no breath is left in me. The angel's words of encouragement. Saying to Daniel in verses 10 through 12. Fear not Daniel. Now what is it that he communicates to Daniel. That helps him not to fear. He communicates God's affection for Daniel. He calls him again here. In verse 11. A man greatly loved. If you are one of God's people. You have to remember in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of our world that you are a person greatly loved. Sometimes we miss that because while it is true that God loves his creation, it's not the same as him loving his family. You understand that. I was talking for a few moments today at the donut counter over here and um, somebody was demonstrating to me through history their great love for the Bengals. I believe you, Doug. <laughs> but it's not the same as how he feels about Kelly. God loves everybody, but he doesn't feel the same way about everybody that he does his bride. And Daniel is one of the church. He's a man greatly loved. And God loves the Jews, but that's not the same as his true people. There is a such thing as national Israel, but that's not the same. As Paul says, the true Israel of God. And Daniel's part of the true Israel of God. He's a follower of Christ. Even though he hadn't seen him yet. Even though Christ has not appeared in history yet. Sometimes people think that's odd. How can you follow someone that you haven't seen yet? How can you? How can you? It's the same thing. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by hearing God's word and responding. So Daniel, it's, a, it's the same. And his, God demonstrates and tells him through this angel of his affection for Daniel. And then he says in, in verses 11 and following, he says here, um, 
look, uh, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And he spoke this to me, I stood up trembling. And so it's his encouragement uh, to Daniel. And then God's answer to Daniel, and he says in, in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. So Daniel, see, Daniel's been fasting and praying for 21 days. He said at the beginning of this. And so the angel's telling him, now here's the reason for the delay. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And in verse 13, he goes on to tell him about the reason for the delay. The reason for his delay is what? Well... He said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. What is he talking about here? Now, this is one of the weirdest parts in all the Bible. This is a weird section of scripture. So what is he talking about? Well, when he says the prince of the kingdom of Persia, he must be speaking about some demonic being that is behind and influencing the government of Persia. Now, where would I get that? He just uses the word prince. Well, I get it at the very end of this book, or this chapter, where he talks about Michael, your prince. So evidently, Michael, the angel, the archangel, is particularly assigned to the people of God. And so that prince... That angelic being is the safeguard of the people of God. And so with these human governments, there must be an assignment, at least in this situation, by hell for these demonic beings to influence the king of Persia. Have you ever thought... That what goes on in the events of this world and the chaos and conflict that's happening. That there is something behind it that's not necessarily human. There is a warfare that goes on in the heavenlies that we don't see. Now, I, I, I remember back in the early days of... My Christian walk, there was a book out, really popular, by Frank Peretti called This Present Darkness. Well, it's okay for entertainment, but it is some bad theology. And so if that's where you get your demonology, I would suggest you dispose of that because you're going to start seeing a demon behind every terrible action that anybody takes. I would say to you that if there were no demons, humans would do just about enough evil that it should do us. So you, you, you don't want to blame everything. But, you know, back in those days when all of that was popular and you had people running around being a spiritual warfare expert. And you'd have them to your church and they'd talk about spiritual warfare. And then your people would go out and they'd think there was a demon behind the shopping cart banging into their car at Kroger's, you know. And so everything, you know, you don't want to get caught in that trap. Most of us are not important enough. <laughs> so uh, I do believe that probably for pastors, there probably is a special demonic assignment. 
because the impact is different. So it doesn't mean that it couldn't happen in your life. It doesn't mean that. I just don't want you to think that you're the king of Persia. So in the history of the world, would anybody question that demonic activity was an influence in the life of Adolf Hitler? I think we have historical evidence for it. And by the way, the extermination of ethnic groups is the logical conclusion for the heresy of the doctrine of evolution. Evolution, logically applied, leads to holocaust. Hitler was a strong believer in the survival of the fittest. And that the best service that he could do for the world would be to eliminate those who were genetically inferior, including those with disabilities. We must keep their genetics out of the human race if we're going to evolve to the next level. That was his conclusion, thanks to Charles Darwin. And what do we do? We turn around and teach that to children in schools. Logically concluded, if you're going to teach evolution in the classroom, then isn't the logical conclusion that some of us sitting there are more further evolved than others sitting there? Of course it must be true. We don't all evolve at the same rate, at the same rate do we? Then who would be the superior? Obviously me first and then the rest of you. Well, that's what Satan does. He influences the structures of society. And wherever he can get a foothold to influence a society toward destruction, toward evil, toward chaos, toward hurt, toward harm, toward the denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will do so. And so here we see the angel that came to Daniel was actually delayed for 21 days. Now, let me say what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the angel couldn't get loose from the demon. It means that in God's decree, he determined that the answer to Daniel would be delayed for 21 days. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for delay in our lives as well. Always a good reason. And God delays his answer many times to try our faith. To cause us to sharpen ourselves in prayer. To question the desires of our heart to see if they align with his. There are reasons for delay. So the angel has delayed here. But he says, now that that's my delay, I want you to see the revelation of my purpose. And his purpose is, is clearly stated in verse 14. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. He said, I'm going to tell you some things about the future now, Daniel. Now, what is his response? His response to that was he became mute. He lost strength. He wasn't sure if he wanted to hear what was getting ready to be told to him. And so God is providing this for him to bring comfort to him though. So that he will know 
that his life has not been in vain. That the 70 years of waiting was, was for, it wasn't useless. That even though he was kidnapped at age 15 and transported away from his family and friends to this foreign weird place, that it wasn't all for nothing. And that God is in charge of all of history and he's taking it somewhere. Let's talk about history for, for just a moment again. And I, I, I reiterate this. Sometimes you might think I'm repeating myself. I am. I do that a lot because people don't listen well. But God's providence, God's providence is simply, simply this. It is his activity in history to carry out his decrees. That's it. God is at work in good and evil to carry out in human history his decrees. What he has determined is what will be. Now, with the Greek philosophers, you have those that think fate rules everything. And there's fatalism. That there's nothing I can do. It's just life does what it does. And, you know, that's just what it is. And so you have those that think that way. Others think it's by chance. Things just happen for no, no apparent reason, just, just by chance. And so someone advances in life by fate. It's just the way it's supposed to be. Or by chance. They got lucky. Now, in America, we uh, have the scientific revolution. And so what we've done is we take deism. We believe there is a God. By and large, most people in America believe there's a God. And if they're pressed, they would say God uh, created the world in a certain way. But now he just stands back and lets the natural laws or the laws of everything run the universe. That everything runs by these laws. And that's a way of looking at the activity of the world. What happens in the world is according to laws. Somebody quoted in Bible study the other day the law of karma. What comes around goes around. I cringed. But some of these things are ingrained in our thinking. We have moved God out of history. And what we have done is said that the activities of the world have come about according to some philosophy, whether it's Marxism, whether it's by greed, whatever law that we think moves people, <clears throat> that's our explanation for what goes on in the world. We come to the church house and we worship God here. And then when we leave here, we leave him here because out there, see, in our view, things operate in a different manner. The problem with that kind of dichotomy is that it's completely and utterly unbiblical. And one of the prime thoughts and truths that we're learning from the book of Daniel is that God is in control of all of history. Every event, he's in control. And what he has decreed will happen, 
is what will happen. He said, well, don't people have choices? Yes, people make choices. Absolutely, they make choices. And God influences choices so they'll be exactly what he wants people to choose. So that it comes about just like he says. Humans are not in control of the outcome of history. God is. Now, some of you, uh, because of, of your bad theology that you got from the Nazarene church, you, you, you've got such a streak of Arminianism in you that you think that man is in control of his own destiny. And what you have done is that you believe in the providence of God in everything except when humans get to make choices. And you've put the choice of man above the decree of God. What kind of world is that? There's no telling what's going to happen. If this is all built on human choice, there's no telling how it's all going to turn out. You need to re-examine that type of thinking. When human beings are in the driver's seat. You know, we're the only country in the world that has trouble with, the, with Calvinistic thinking. Because we've all been taught such independent thinking. We coach our kids that way. You can be anything you want to be, honey, which is a lie. You, you, it's a lie. You cannot be Joel Embiid. You're only 5'2". It's not going to happen. We, but you're in charge of your own destiny. You're the master, of your, you're captain of your own ship. And we tell people, you've got to make choices and your own choices and all of that, and, which is, is fine. But we never tell them that over all of these things is God's hand. And whatever choices you might think you're going to make, you will not outchoose God. And what Daniel is being reminded of here is that God's control is of history's events. And so in 18 and following, he says again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. See, you can only fear not if God's in control. If God's not in control, you got every reason to be terrified. Now, uh, those of you that work in the school system, um, let's don't tell the kids this. But they could at any moment rise up and riot. If you don't think God is protecting your life, go teach in the public school system and then you'll find out. I mean, what is keeping those kids in seats? It's certainly not fear of punishment, I'll tell you that. They punish the, I like it, they punish the teacher. You're going to have in-school suspension. Oh, great, now the teacher's in, in school suspension. That's what happens. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against, the, uh, against these except Michael, your prince. Now, chapter 11, verse 1. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So, God's control of history's events. God controls the design of history. Do you know why I've come to you? 
the angel asks him. And looking back at verse 14, it, it's again a reminder. Um, I came to make you understand what's going to happen in the latter days. God can't make you understand what's going to happen in the latter days if he's not in control of it. And he's warning Daniel here that Satan's going to seek to influence the next empire, the Greeks. The Greek empire's coming. And also, he's going to try to defeat the Jews. And why would he do this? To stop the lineage of the Messiah. <clears throat> Daniel is keenly aware of the fact that the Messiah's, Messiah will come through the Jews. And that the annihilation of the Jews would stop the salvation of the world. And so he knows this. And so he's, it's affirmed to him again. He's encouraged again. God is in control of this. It's not going to happen, Daniel. It may look like it's going to happen. And there are other kings. And we'll get into this next chapter. Other kings are going to follow. And one of those kings is Xerxes, a Persian king. And the Jews were almost annihilated during the reign of Xerxes, except for Esther. God is working through all of us, Daniel. He's working it out. And then after that, the Greek Empire will arise. And there will be a, a, a demon behind that thing. And it will seek to wipe you out as well. But, the, but God's joke on the Greek Empire is that the Greek Empire gives Greek to the world. And God uses Greek in order to write the New Testament about the Messiah. God controls all of these things. God controls uh, according to his decree of history. He talks about in verse 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. What is he talking about? He's talking about history. What's, what's going to happen? It's already inscribed in the book. God has already written history. It's just now have to be played out in real time. God controls the details of history. In verse 20, he says, uh, look, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And then in chapter 11, verse 1, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. He's protecting Darius. And God is controlling all of these details exactly, weaving them together exactly as he wants them to be. The exact details are under his control. Even the pagan kings like Darius. God will strengthen him against Satan. So that he won't do all the harm that he could do. He will be favorably disposed toward Daniel. History belongs to God. Now here is, here's where you come in. Here's where I come in. If, if God is in charge of all these things according to his decree. What he has determined will be. He's, he's working that out in history. As, as a Christian. What role do we play then? If it's, if it's all just going to go. Just hold on a minute. Remember I told you that God works. Through secondary causes. You go to the doctor. God may heal you. Through medication. Remember it's his medication. Remember, the, the only way that we can even prescribe anything is because God is in control making things orderly. Whatever laws that we have written down about the way things work, it's all it is, it's us reviewing what God's doing, not causing 
what God's doing. The law of gravity doesn't cause gravity, guys. It just describes what God has done. So what role do we play then? In chapter 10, chapter 9, chapter 10, and so on, one of the common elements that you see through all of this from Daniel is prayer. The point of these chapters is not, hey, dear Christian, you need to be a prophet too and see weird visions and pass out. That's not the point. The point in all of this is prayer. Somehow, in some way, the angel is telling Daniel, your prayers mattered. We heard your prayer. I'm here as a response to your prayer. Here's what God is doing in history. We watched a little video one time here. It's been years back now. But Ron Dunn made this statement about praying. He said, history belongs to the intercessors. In some way, God has made an allowance for our prayers somehow to influence history. You say, well, how does that work together with you just said about God's decree and his providence and things and God does things exactly? Exactly he does. And one of those things that he's decreed is simply this. Your prayers make a difference. I don't know how it works. I can't put it all together. I can't give you a formula. But we would learn this from, from Daniel. If we want in this world for his will to be done, for God's will to be done, then pray. We're not praying for heaven on earth, but we are praying for heaven to direct earth to its final conclusion until the world stands face to face with the one whose face is like the appearance of lightning and his eyes like flaming torches. That's the end toward which we pray. God Bring it all around, everything that happens, from the small things in my little life to the grand things that are happening on the world stage. God, here's what we ask. Not that you would bring a utopia here right now. We're asking you to bring all of the forces, all of the beings, all of the humans to the feet of Jesus and give an account of the one who made them. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. And when we understand that that is the way the world is going to go, then here's what we know. God will answer those prayers. In some unexplainable way, your intercession for the events in history, in some way, it makes a difference. So I have walked you through 21, 22 verses of utter weirdness to hopefully get you to see two things. One, God 
works in history according to his decree and will bring it to that end that he has decided. Whether it's the big things in life or the events in your small life and my small life, God will bring those things to the end that he has decided. The goal that he's decided, he will bring it all to that goal. That's one. Secondly, this. The one thing that you can do, dear Christian, that is more important than any activity that you can think of is to pray. Because Daniel shows us that history does belong to the intercessors. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this glimpse, this segment of information from the pen of a prophet. Lord, we believe and trust that your Holy Spirit superintended the writing of this so that it would be error-free. And though you work through humans, we believe that you brought about the words on this page exactly as you intended them to be. Father, we pray that you would use the word now, having been explained in a stumbling way by a frail servant. We pray, God, that you would use your everlasting word to bring courage to the hearts of your people and that our confidence would not be found in who's in the White House, but in the one who is on the great white throne to whom we must all give an account. Father, that we would not be so perturbed by the decisions of frail humans. But instead, Lord, we would be emboldened by the decrees of the creator of the universe. And Father, in all of these things, may we be humbled, but also may we be encouraged that in some unspeakable, unexplainable way, the prayers of your people somehow are linked together with the outcome of human history. Lord, I pray that in our lives that we would be driven back to becoming people of prayer, praying about things beyond that of just our little circle of problems. But having looked up and seeing the one who has the golden sash around his waist, whose skin is like bronze that's been burnished, it's like eyes that are flaming fire, whose voice is like the multitude of people speaking. And we look up and see our Savior and know that he is in charge of all things. Lord, may we walk through this shifting world with confidence and sure footing. May we not bow or cower before the frivolous philosophy of human minds. 
May we lean upon your word and know that what you have written stands for all time. Lord, I pray today also for those who are guiding their own life, trying to do what they think would bring happiness to themselves. Lord, I pray today that you would bring a realization into their life that there's no purpose, there's no joy, there's no direction apart from Christ. Lord, I pray that they would see the one who died for sinners as being one who died for them. Open their hearts to the truth by your Holy Spirit. Bring conversion of their soul that they may flee to Christ and be saved. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.